Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Martinelli por banda izquierda, Martinelli para Trozar, que está por todas partes, la pone Trozar, balón para Odegar el control, Odegar, 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 golazo, 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 control estratosférico de Martin Odegar con la rodilla, Fulancero, Arsenal, qué bueno es este equipo, tres. Este gol del Arsenal lo hizo el noruego, este de para quedar siempre arriba Este gol del Arsenal Lo hizo el noruego Este de los Ganer Para quedar siempre arriba Este gol del Arsenal Lo hizo el noruego Este de los Ganer Para quedar siempre arriba This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnar Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. How are you today? I am goodly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. It was a lovely Sunday, wasn't it? It was a very lovely Sunday and it's been a good weekend, I think, generally speaking, Um, from an Arsenal perspective. We are five points clear again at the top of the table. Played a very good game yesterday. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with how things are. How about you? Can't complain. I mean, it's a beautiful place to go, Fulham. Uh, it's a really nice day out. And I know a lot of Arsenal's travelling fans made a real day of it. The, you know, there were boat trips and all sorts, pre-game, mm. booze cruises. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw people on it from quite early, all right. Yeah, yeah I think half nine the boats <laughs> left, so fair play for getting down there. But I don't think the Arsenal players are doing that, but they really did look like they enjoyed it. It was a lovely pitch. It's a nice traditional stadium. Mm. Not the most, uh, what's the word? Vociferous? Yeah, crowd, especially it, at 2 p.m. It's no Galatasaray. Let's let's make it no, clear. Yeah. I think that's fair. And it was just, especially in that first half, ever so comfortable. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I don't think I've heard a Premier League stadium quite as quiet as I did yesterday. Mm. Um, did I send it? Uh, did I say that to you on WhatsApp, or did I say it to Andrew no. Allen? I can't remember. I think I might have said it to Andrew. And I said something similar to him, and he goes, "Well, you know, Fulham fans aren't necessarily, you know, known for their boisterousness and all that kind of stuff. But you know, they do make some noise. Uh, but Arsenal, the way they play that game, just completely silenced them. It's it's sort of like um, remember when we played Brentford earlier in the season and we played really well and Brentford, which was, let's face it, rocking the season before when we played there and they won famously or infamously, however you want to put it. Remember the commentator said, 
you know, maybe it's the home fans here are just so respectful of the passing <laughs> of the Queen that yeah. they're not really up for making any noise today, you know, you know, downplaying the fact that Arsenal just basically played Brentford off the park and they had nothing to say while the away fans sang the Saliba song over and over again. Do you think maybe the Fulham fans were just sort of quiet out of respect for, for Gary Lineker, perhaps? I think maybe, maybe, or still thinking about the Queen, possibly. <laughs> um, I don't know, but it was... It's easy to say this stuff after the fact, but from the moment Arsenal walked out onto the pitch, they did sort of look on it yesterday. And Fulham, to be fair, on the other side of the coin, did not. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it was funny, I was pre-game, I was sort of in the media room and I was chatting to Peter Rutzler, who, who covers Fulham for The Athletic, and I was saying, you know, ah, it's Fulham away, tricky fixture potentially. Yeah. And it, he literally went, nah, it'll be fine. And I was like, <laughs> why? Why are you so sure? And he, he, he said, this absence of Zhao Palinha, it can't be overemphasised how huge that is. I think he said mm. something like, last time he wasn't playing, they conceded three or four at home. Right. Um, basically, without him, there's just a gaping hole in the middle of the midfield. And Arsenal had a lovely time exploiting that. Uh, Craven Cottage sounds like the kind of guy we should, you know, think about buying. Maybe if he's if he's that good. But you know, <laughs> I, I do think you're right, though. On paper, this wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, a walk in the park. It did look tricky because we had had a European away game on Thursday. We know that that can affect the players. They had to do the travel. It wasn't a long trip to Fulham, obviously, um, but you know, it is away from home. It is. Uh, a Sunday game after a Thursday game. Fulham have been playing pretty well this season. I know they've been going through a little bit of a sticky patch, but mm -hmm. they're not where they are on the table by accident, by any means. You know, they do have good players. I know Palina's extremely important for them, and obviously as well, they miss the the wonderful wing skills of Willian. Um, well, that was a relief as well, by the way, that as soon as I found out he wasn't playing... Less so in terms of his impact on the pitch, which, to be fair, has been decent this season, but more just the the weight of narrative was lifted yes. from my shoulders. Yeah, I was quite happy not to see him uh, on the team sheet, I have to say. But and Cedric ineligible as well, Andrew. Let's not forget another big, big boost. That was good. That was good. That sort of calmed everything down then. But, you know, it, it would be fair to say that there was some nervousness going into this game because of because of um, you know the, the the context of it and the circumstances of it, but from the start, I think Arsenal made it pretty clear what way they were going to approach this game. You know, Arteta talked about the sloppy goals that we conceded. There was obviously the the Bournemouth game last weekend, which was somewhat chaotic. Yeah, uh, we started by conceding a goal within nine seconds. So when we got to 10 seconds yesterday, I was, you know, just a little sigh of relief there. We got over that particular hurdle. But, you know, from the start, it was a case of, well, we're just going to show you what we can do. Because in the very early minutes, Fulham tried to press high a couple of times and Arsenal just played the ball around them. And I think that became the... One of the themes of the day, anyway, was just how composed and how controlled we were, you know, on a day when I think that was really important, you know, not just to get the win, but to sort of demonstrate that, you know, the the team, while it has had some, 
little rocky games and rocky performances, and thankfully we've come through most of them in, in a good way, can sort of turn up and just uh, absolutely control a game against opposition who, you know, like I said, have been going well this season. Yeah, and, you know, looking back at my notes, in the first five minutes I was saying Fulham have got a decent shape, you know, they seem to be pretty organised. I remember in that initial sort of opening period of the game, there was a lot of Arsenal just keeping possession almost in their own half, you know, just <clears throat> almost feeling Fulham out, you mm. know, finding the space, finding the pockets, finding the opportunities. And then once they started to do that, there was just no turning back really. And it it, it was an outstanding half of football. I think, you know, the speed at which we moved the mm. ball, the intelligence of the players, their understanding of this system. I, I was watching Martin Odegaard, who was sort of playing, drifting over to, to my side in that first half, the, our, our right flank. And when William Saliba or Ben White or Thomas Partey have the ball, the speed at which he interprets and understands, right, in order to give them the out ball, I need to be here. Mm. And when I'm here, that means Partey or Saka are going to be there or there. It's at the point now where it's so intuitive that even though the opposition must spend all week watching videos of Arsenal and knowing what they're going to do, they can't stop it. I think that's a really good point. I'd love to know what kind of distance Odegaard covered yesterday and covers generally in games. I think I read before that he is probably the guy who covers the most distance, and it's yeah, his movement. So. You know, we, we talk all the time about what he can do on the ball. I mean, there was one pass yesterday, I think I said on the live blog, he's basically trying to reinvent geometry with the pass that he made. Unfortunately, it was, it was cut out, but it was a sort of uh, craft that you expect from him. But... You know, that that ability and quality on the ball that he has, the vision he has, the creativity he has is coupled with, I don't know if you can, it, it seems basic just to call it hard work because it's it's not just that. It's, it's like you say, it is watching where the ball is, who's picking it up where and making sure that he's in the right position to A, either receive a pass or B, allow the other player to find space by taking somebody with him. His intelligence on the ball is obvious. His intelligence off the ball is something we don't really talk about a great deal, but I think it's a massive part of, of why he is such a good player and so influential. You know, on, on a day when there were worries that he might not start because he was he was unwell, he couldn't play in, in midweek on Thursday, and on Sunday he's turned up, he's done 90-odd minutes yesterday, tearing around the pitch to tremendous effect and he mm. did not look one bit like a guy who's been unwell during the week. It's a hell of an advert for Lemsip. I'll say that. <laughs> he, he, he was, yeah, I, I had forgotten actually until you mentioned it then that he'd been unwell because he just looked, he looked like a guy who was incredibly well rested, to be honest. Yeah. With you. Um, and I think that is a great point about these players. You know, we speak about their athleticism or their technical ability but I do think they something many of them share is a football IQ, a tactical intelligence. And they have a great teacher in their coach, Mikel Arteta, yes. whose football IQ appears to be off the charts. But I think many a sort of uniting trait of many of our best players is that they're able to grasp those ideas and grasp them very quickly. Um, I mean, none more so than... Leandro Trossard, and I meant to ask you at the start, yeah. were any of your nerves 
assuaged when you saw that he was fit and in the starting lineup? For sure. I mean, I looked at the starting lineup and I thought, yeah, I like that. Obviously, Trossard being back in, I wasn't expecting it because Arteta did a an interview on Sky on Saturday morning and basically said, you know, we're without Trossard and Enketia and we don't know what's going to happen with Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and we'll talk about him obviously now in, in, in a few moments' time. But yeah, seeing Trossard there was fantastic. And then when you looked at the starting level and then you looked at the bench, it was something which definitely calmed the nerves a little bit. You know, you see uh, the attacking options that we had on the bench as well. Jesus just being there was a huge boost. Uh, And Trossard, I think, is, you know, somebody who at 28 years of age has come in and picked up. I mean, he just looks like he's been here for a long time, doesn't he? He looks every inch an Arsenal player, yeah. Um, I mean, he looks like an Arsenal player who could have played in pretty much any Arsenal team over the last 20 years. You know, he's yeah, got yeah, that yeah. kind of... I know what you mean. Diminutive stature, playmaker, quality, you know, brilliant in small spaces. He is absolutely brilliant in confined areas. I know he's a small guy, but like his, his ability to turn in space and bring the ball under his control... Is really, really outstanding. Um, and again, along that line of sort of tactical intelligence, I do think that false nine role is about as complex and nuanced a position as there is in this system. And he just makes it look so simple. Can, can I ask you, I mean, just on that, I do agree with you, but I'm just curious as to, you know, if you play Eddie Nketiah in that position, he's not a false nine, he's a centre forward. We know that Trossard is, you know, has played most of his football in wide areas, and he has played as a as a centre forward or as a false nine, whatever way you want to, whatever way you yeah. want to call it. But do you think there are subtle differences or differences in the way that Mikel Arteta will want the team to play when Trossard is there versus Inketi or even Gabriel Jesus, who we looked at as as probably a a centre forward, bit of an all action centre forward, right? But when you think about what he does and how he does it, there there are elements of the the false nine in in the way he plays as well. Yeah, I think it's probably not a hugely helpful distinction because I think Arteta's expectations of his number nine are that they do all these other things that conventionally mm. we would call a false nine. Um, I, I think the reality is that Trossard, in terms of his style of play and his ability to combine is just closer to Jesus and consequently closer to Arteta's preferred model of how the team should Mm. play. Um, I think there are differences when we play with Eddie and when we play with Trossard. And it's hard to know how much of those is managerial instruction and how much of it is just style of player. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And, you know, to what extent the manager just goes, well, these are the types of players they are. Let's play to their strengths. But clearly, clearly, I think having Trossard there, I think, brings more out of Gabriel Martinelli. I mean, that's the most obvious thing. You know, yeah. he's been a gift for Martinelli and really helped him find form. And it looked like Martinelli had played a massive part in giving us a relatively early lead. Yeah, I mean, the the pass, I think, from Granite Jack is absolutely superb. Yeah. The the offside, I mean, we have to accept it's offside. It must have been very, very tight. 
Martinelli got in, took the shot. Leno made a save. It deflected off the defender and in. And then, of course, VAR uh, did its thing and, and ruled that out. And it, it's quite an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? Because, you know, you're right to say at the start, there was an element maybe of the two teams feeling each other out a bit. Arsenal mm-hmm. saying, how comfortable are we going to be if we play the way we want to play, play out from the back? And you know, I think within 10, 15 minutes, we're, we're well in control of the game. Then you get the goal. The goal's chalked off. So how do you respond to that? Is that a huge disappointment? Because we've talked about early goals this season and how important they've been to Arsenal, scoring first, scoring the early goal, building on that. Um, but, you know, it, it, didn't let a, it didn't make heads go down. There was a chance, I think where Shaka didn't quite get the ball out from under his feet, and he did get a shot away. Leno made a save, yeah. pushed it around the post. We had a corner. The first corner wasn't good. The second corner, Trossard to Gabriel. Gabriel heads in, 1-0, within a couple of minutes of, of the first goal being disallowed. And I think that, in some ways, is almost like a double whammy for Fulham, because they're like, oh, fuck, we've gone behind. Phew, that goal didn't count. And then, oh, fuck. We've gone behind, you know, again within within a couple of minutes. Gabrielle is an attacking threat from set pieces. I don't know that there is a central defender better in the Premier League at those kinds of contributions. You know, he does score with with fairly decent frequency for a central defender. Yeah, I don't think there is anyone better. I really don't. I think he's so aggressive and so powerful in those situations. Um and it was a good delivery from Trossard, his first assist of three on the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a really good response. I think Arteta said it in one of his post-match interviews. He said, you know, we had to overcome the setback of the disallowed goal. Mm. And I, I do think they are these weird moments. When that goal was disallowed, it was the biggest cheer of the day from the Fulham fans by some distance. And it gave the whole place seemingly yeah. a lift. And you thought this could be real impetus for them. And Arsenal showed real composure to ensure that wasn't the case and to continue to push on. And I think getting the goal quite quickly was obviously really helpful in just kind of snuffing out any hopes of a, a Fulham rally. But yeah. uh, Can I ask you on this one? Because there were uh, moments in the second half when Fulham, who are a threat on set pieces, they've got Mitrovic up front, they've got some big guys in their team. They did have one moment, of course, where they where they hit the bar. Yeah, um, good header, yeah. Tosin, I think it was, who, you know, was a really good thumping header, came off the bar. But there were moments where, from set pieces, we saw Aaron Ramsdale come and punch or slap or do whatever he needed to do to get the ball away. When you look at where this one landed, I mean, it's right in the six-yard box. Is that a, a, a situation where you want your goalkeeper to be a bit more decisive if you're if you're a Fulham fan for example maybe I mean it's really interesting watching Bern Leno I thought he made a couple of really brilliant saves the save he makes on the disallowed goal from Martinelli Mm. is an outstanding save and he's so unlucky it cannons off the defender and goes in fortunately it's disallowed um he makes another save later in the game that I thought was really good is it the one from Martinelli at the back post the Ben White yeah yeah brilliant reaction save I do think that something we know about him is that he is quite—he uh, does—he is more prone to staying on his line. Yeah. And if you look at the first two Arsenal goals, you might look at that and say, you know, could he maybe have done more with his positioning and been more aggressive? Um, and I—I I agree with you about Ramsdale. I think 
sometimes when you watch a player, you can sort of see the team talk. And I'm convinced that no, because Fulham, I think, are pretty much the best or second best team in the league on attacking set pieces. It's them and Brentford, right? And I think you could see that he had been told, we need you to be aggressive today and Mm -hmm. to be active. Um, And, you know, I I think watching it, it's not always, uh, it it can make the heart rate go up. But I think defenders really appreciate that. A goalkeeper who's prepared to come and punch or claim Mm. and get involved. I think it does help, especially when you're up against a team who can be threatening in those scenarios. And as you say, hit the bar at one point. Let's talk about the second goal then, because I think when we talk about the football IQ, the intelligence of of our players, of our team, it's all there in this second goal. Fulham again are trying to press high up the pitch. Arsenal just play the ball. I'm not going to say casually, because I don't think there's anything particularly casual about it, but they make it look easy. And I think that comes down to this tactical awareness we're talking about, the positional awareness of players on the field, the way that some of them, you know, when Saka dropped back in, for example, the movement of players to make sure that we can receive a ball, the first time passes, sort of wall passes to other players just to give us another option to make another pass to keep the ball moving around Fulham as they're chasing and harrying. And then the ability of Saliba to play a pass with his wrong foot to make the big switch, I think, out to Granite Xhaka. Mm-hmm. It is, I'm not saying it's a risky pass per se. I think if you're playing it with your strong foot, you you don't even think twice about that. But with your wrong foot, I mean, would you would you be comfortable, let me just ask, you know, with Gabriel with that ball on his right foot, would you be comfortable with him making the pass from the mirror angle? I'm not 100% Sure that we all would be, where Saliba looked up, saw Xhaka, curled a like inch perfect pass into Xhaka. Xhaka brings it on, and then from there, you know, we go and score an an absolutely outstanding goal in terms of the build up. I think the Fulham defending on the corner, on the cross rather from Trossard is is quite bad. Mm. But you know, Martinelli is there. And it's another goal for him. And I think it capped just a, a really, really impressive passage of play from Arsenal. Yeah, it's a brilliant goal. I think it's, hang on, I think it's 23 passes that Arsenal make wow. in that sequence. Um, the pass from Sleeve was brilliant. We shouldn't be too surprised. Didn't he stick one in the top corner with his left foot against Bournemouth earlier in the season? Was it Bournemouth or Brentford? Uh, I think it could have been Brentford. It was, was it? I think it was Bournemouth, but... We shall see. I'll look that up while Someone you keep will let, talking. You let that, otherwise it will be hanging over us for the rest of the episode. But yeah, it's a brilliant ball from him. But in many ways, I was sort of more impressed by what happened before that, just the interchanging of passes, almost like I spoke about at the top of the show, just toying with Fulham, really. Being like, okay, you're going to press us here. We're going to move the ball here. You're going to press us here. We'll move the ball there. And then when you, we suck you all in, because actually what they managed to do is attract six Fulham players into one corner of the pitch. Mm. And Saliba just bypasses that with that brilliant pass. And then they tear up the other end. It's four on four. I think Trossard does really well as well because it's not the easiest ball to control that Shaka gives him. And he, he manages to sort of bring it under his spell so quickly, go outside his man, lift mm. it. Don't know what, I think it's Robinson, the Fulham left back's doing at the far post, but Martinelli's there to capitalise. And yeah, End-to-end, a brilliant, brilliant goal. It really was. And you're right, it was 
Bournemouth uh, early in the yes. season where he scored he scored that goal. He did score against Brentford as well, though. That's why I'm uh, a little bit a little bit confused gotcha. on that. So look, two 0 and Arsenal are absolutely flying. Um, I think deservedly ahead, and it's comfortable because we're playing well. But you're always cognizant of the fact that two 0 is the kind of scoreline where one goal can make a big difference, right? Yeah. So you're looking for a little bit more. You're looking for another goal to really put the, um, you know, to make Fulham know that this game is basically beyond them. And there were some really good chances. I'm so sad for Granit Xhaka in a way that he didn't just take that first time, that he yeah. took a touch and was just like, oh, fuck, because that was a brilliant move, wasn't it? That that little one-touch passage of play that got him in on goal, and if he'd just poked that beyond Leno, I think we'd be talking about one of the goals of the season. Yeah, it was kind of just a bit of a brain freeze, wasn't it? I, 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 he yeah. got there, and I think he saw his mate Leno and thought, over, but he thought basically was the problem. He thought something. Yes, he thought, yeah, he should have just gone for it, yeah. Yeah, if he puts his left foot through that, you know, there's no arguments at all. Uh, that was a great move and a great chance. And to, I, I, it's a shame, actually, because I think if he'd scored it, I think we'd actually be talking about a really brilliant Shaka performance. I, I think, think he was, was very real... good. I think he was very good yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, a real return to form for him. Yeah. Um, and Trossard, I think I'm right in saying, had a pretty good chance as well that went yeah. just wider the near post. He hit it at left foot. Yeah, there was that. There was the Martinelli chance as well. What a great pass that is from Ben White, though. It really is. Oh, that was, um, was that his left foot as well? I it think. was his left foot. Yeah, I like curled it perfectly to the back post. I think that's, if it, even if it's not necessarily the best connection that Martinelli has ever made, I still think that's a really good save. It definitely is. It from, definitely is. From Leno, it really is. Because, you know, it's one of those. How many that, times do you see that bounce up and exactly, over the Exactly. Because he's expecting something different from the shot. You know, he's expecting a better connection, maybe a, a stronger shot. I think it's a it's a really good save. But then we did get the goal that I think our first half performance merited, uh, based on the way we played, the chances we created. I don't think three nil at halftime was a was an unfair scoreline or an unfair representation of, of our dominance. Um, I mean, Fulham, a couple of times they did this, they just threw the ball in field and uh, yeah. uh, and we intercepted. Party got in well, played it to Martinelli, Martinelli to Trossard, the cross, and then the the calmness and the composure from, from Odegaard inside the box to step inside a couple of defenders and, and smash it home. Like I said, did not look like a man who'd spent the uh, the week with the snuffles or whatever he had. No, not at all. And actually, you know, the ball winning from Partey, he did that all day. Yeah. You know, with Palina not on the pitch, he just gobbled up. He was just, he was at a different level from pretty much anyone else on the pitch in, in that area, you know, in central midfield. Yeah. They couldn't get anywhere near him. There was one turn, wasn't there, in the second half where he just yeah, sort of dragged it back. It's just like... He was, uh, you know, the outstanding midfielder probably mm. uh, on the day. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in this instance, it's crazy what Fulham do. They just chuck the ball into midfield. And he says, well, I love that, actually. Um, and I really liked Odegaard's composure in front of goal. Good finish as well. You know, he, he has become mm. a, a reliable goal scorer for us, which, you know, I have to be honest, I didn't always see. Um you know, when he first arrived at the club, 
he could be tentative in those moments. And he seems to have really developed that uh, sort of love for it. You know, I think yeah. he, I think he feels like a player who wants to score goals now, and he's hungry for it, and that's critical. Yeah, I mean, it is it was. Um something Arteta talked about, about how we mm. wanted him to contribute more. And it's something we've talked about how many times on, on this podcast about goals from elsewhere, goals yeah. from midfield, you know, and we're getting them this season and they're part of why we are where we are. You know, there isn't just a reliance on the front three to score goals, whoever they, they might be. Basically, every outfield player has scored a goal for us this season, apart from Tommy Asu. Uh, and I think Smith Rowe is the other one, but obviously he's been injured. So we're mm. sharing goals around. There's there's threat from all over. I mean, he did show that he could do it, uh, Odegaard. He had a season with, was it Real Sociedad, where yeah. he got uh, maybe seven or eight goals that season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you have that quality, when you have that intelligence and when you have a team around you, which means you're playing much higher up the pitch. Like, he fi- do you remember that game against West Ham in the season when he was on loan? Yeah, 3-3. Where, yeah, the 3-3. And we were, were we 3-0 down? I think we were. But I think so, yeah. He inspired that comeback. But my recollection, I could be wrong about this. My recollection of that is Odegaard dropping deep to pick up the ball and driving us forward from deep positions. Whereas now, look where he's receiving that cross from Trossard. Mm. You know, he might as well be a centre forward or, you know, one of a front two or a front three, whatever way you want to call it. He's in these positions time and time and time again. You know, even late in the game, he picked up the, pa- the the pass from Nelson. Couldn't quite keep the half volley down, but you know, more and more, he's popping up in positions where he is a threat. And and you know, I think the finishing has improved. He's obviously been working on that. And you know, it was a it was a really good goal to score just before the break as well, because I think that pretty much hammered the nails into the Fulham coffin, even if they were a bit better in the second half. No, definitely. I think it it would have been. It, that was the only thing missing from the first half, the third goal to kill the game. Mm. Um, and, you know, just before half time, there was that moment, just before we got the third goal, there was a moment where Ramsdale misplaced that pass, you know, off the outside yeah. of his foot. And you thought, oh, it'd be so crazy if we let Fulham back into this in any way, because we've been so utterly dominant. So to then go up the other end and set the seal on it was uh, great. And it just just took the game away from them entirely and it must have been a pretty content dressing room at half time for Arsenal. For sure. But I guess the message would have been don't expect Fulham to be as bad in they the second can't. half. In front they of get... their home fans, yeah. they can't produce two halves of that. You no, know? they can't. And and to be fair, there was a, a pretty early chance for them where they got in behind a bit too easily, in behind the left back area a little bit too easily and there was a ball across uh, our box, our six-yard box, which went just wide. They had a, a corner, and I think from that corner, uh, we got one of the the Ramsdale clearances where he just mm. kind of waves a big paw at the ball, like pff, swatting it away like a mighty bear. Um, <laughs> you know, but but that's kind of what we needed. You know, that that yeah. dominance in the penalty area when maybe we have been a little bit sloppy uh, or vulnerable from set pieces when your goalkeeper gives you that 
you know, it gives your defence a, a lot of confidence. I, I think, you know, I think the central defenders who are both very, very good on the day, in particular William Saliba, who I thought was just outstanding. One yeah. of his best games ever for us. Kind of low-key one of his best games because everyone's looking at Trossard with a hat-trick of assists and you're looking at Martinelli, you're looking at um, uh, Odegaard we just talked about. You're looking at the return of Gabriel Jesus. You're looking at Gabriel, his central defensive partner, scoring another goal. But I think Saliba's control slash dominance of Mitrovic, who is a very difficult player to play against, mm. was really, really impressive for me. Yeah, I think this was the kind of poise from Saliba that so startled us in the early months of the season. Yeah. Um, I think this was a performance of that calibre. And the, the greatest compliment to Saliba and Gabriel I can give is that watching Mitrovic, when Fulham had possession at every opportunity, this is a guy who dominates the 18-yard box, the six-yard box, mm. the centre of the pitch. He was pulling on to Zinchenko or occasionally onto Ben White, but primarily looking to be at the back post where Zinchenko was for long diagonals. And I just thought, well, that tells you a lot mm. about the two centre-halves that Arsenal have. Um, I thought they were both great on the day. And, and I think probably the unheralded aspect of this win is the clean sheet. Yeah, I think that... Um, I think I've said this many times, but clean sheets are a, a culture and it's something that everyone has to really buy into uh, it being important and it mattering, even when you're three nil up. And I think Arsenal did that really well yesterday. Even when there were periods of the game where they didn't exhibit quite as much control, they were very determined to keep that clean sheet and they need that in what remains of the season. For sure. And Arteta talked about it afterwards. He was talking about, you know, having 11 players who, who want to defend. I mean, I think the... I don't know if you've seen the highlights yet or if you've seen watched the game again or, or whatever, mm. but there's a moment really late in the game in some 92nd, 93rd minute. Gabriel makes a block in our box and he celebrates that block just as vigorously, if not more, then he celebrated his actual yeah. goal. And I love that from a central defender. I love seeing defenders who who love to defend. Even the, the guy the other night, the sporting guy, when he blocked Martinelli, you could see how much that meant to him as a defender when you do something like that. It does feel as good as, as scoring a goal. Yeah. And Ramsdale just standing there laughing his head off at Gabriel pumping himself up after. I think he basically gave it large to the Fulham fans. He was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and but that's that's you know, it's got to be part of the mentality. Like if you're three nil up and it's the ninety second minute and you let one in and you're like, nah, so what? You know, I, maybe it doesn't make a difference on a day when you win three one, but it might be the difference between winning one nil and drawing one one at another game at another point in the season. You know, mm. yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and I think. You've just got to have that mentality. And I do like that about Gabriel. I thought he was very good too. And um, one thing I noticed actually, because it was such a quiet stadium, apart from the away fans who were in fantastic voice throughout, he's very vocal on the pitch, Gabriel. Mm. Um, and he's got quite <laughs> a funny voice. Like <laughs> he goes quite high pitched at times. Uh, you just hear these shouts and it's like, what is that sound? It's like a bird that's been <laughs> unleashed in the stadium. And it's and it's Big Gabby. And he operates at a very, as we've discussed many times, like a very high level of kind of 
uh, emotional intensity for for better and for worse. Yeah. But I do think having that sort of presence and personality in the back line is something Arteta must really love and really value. And he's a he, you know, you, you want balance in your central defensive partnership. Well. Him and Saliba, in terms of character, sure. have a natural balance as well as playing style. I think that's true, isn't it? Because he's the very... Highly strong is not the right way to put it, but he is emotional. Yeah. You know, he really gets invested in the the ups and downs of the game and the performance and, and those moments, whereas Saliba is much more, until he does let himself go at, at celebrations at the final whistle when we score goals, you know, who was running off with Gabriel when he scored? It was Saliba and obviously enjoying the moment. But in terms of how he plays the game, he's he's a lot more, uh, not level-headed, but you know what I mean. He no, is, that, he and, is, and that's a really interesting thing, aspects of Saliba, isn't it? That when the whistle blows... He's as cool as you could possibly be. Yeah. But as soon as the ball's in the net or as soon as it's full time, he suddenly looks like a kid again. Yeah. It's like when the ball's in play, he's 10 years older. <laughs> it's kind of incredible. But there is this brilliant balance between them. You know, Gabriel is a, a warrior and Saliba is like the general, you know, mm. he's, he's sort of above it all. Gabriel's the fire and Saliba's the ice. It's a great, partnership and it's been a really important part of Arsenal getting to where they are well hopefully they will uh, be sitting on the Game of Thrones with the <laughs> Premier League title come the end of the season hope uh, so I hope so um, second half performance I think from an Arsenal perspective was um, I understood it in the context of this season you don't really need to go hell for leather but there were moments there was a brilliant piece of play when Martinelli ended up taking a shot that was blocked, but the football we played to create that chance was was really good. And I think Arteta used his substitutes pretty well. Um, yeah, he was quite... Um, funnily enough, I didn't actually... I got shut out of Arteta's uh, press conference because I was uh, doing my post-match video and then he was quick into the press room and he'd started. So I, I, I was outside the door. Um, don't tell the athletic. <laughs> But <laughs> um, I wanted to ask him about the second half because uh, while Arsenal were brilliant and they deserved all the superlatives, he cut quite a frustrated figure for quite a lot of the second half. He was quite um, animated. He, he very mm. much had his cross face on. And I just wondered, like, was that an attempt to keep up standards or did he have genuine frustrations with the second half in some respects? Because... It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't really matter at all. The game was dead. And I think there's an inevitability that there's going to be a bit of a swing. The home team have to put on a show and Arsenal yeah. can afford to take their foot off the gas. But I could just see in him I, I, that I felt he wanted more. Maybe he had the goal difference in mind. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And I, I can understand that. And there were chances. There were moments where we could have scored another goal. But I do think there is a sort of common sense approach when you're in a position like this away from home. Just don't do anything stupid. And you've got two more games in the next one. Well, that's exactly it. You know, you're going into an international break and then we're into the, the real business end of of the season. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a conscious thing. I think it probably is subconscious in a way, 
But to get yourself 3-0 up at half time and then con- uh, control the second half really again, you'd like to score more goals. We had the chances. We had the Martinelli chance I talked about. There's the Gabriel Jesus chance that burned Leno, the big meanie. He saved that chance from Jesus. There was a, the Odegaard one that I mentioned too. You know, there were moments where we could have scored the goal, but... You know, it wasn't like we actually or actively had to go had to go chasing. Um, mm. There is energy to be expended elsewhere rather than in the second half of a game like this, if that makes sense. Yes, I, I mean, you know, we could easily have scored. Basically, Fulham came up at us more in this half, and they had a higher position on the pitch. One thing I wonder about this game is. Um, is this sort of the death knell for teams opening up against Arsenal in any way? You know, like uh, we've had a lot of matches recently where teams have sat really deep and made life very difficult for us um, and had a relative degree of success with that. Fulham didn't do that. And Mm. I fear that (laughs) that may be the last time that happens this season. Well, well, maybe, maybe. But when you look at the goals, one is from a corner, Fulham have every man back. The other... Uh, the second goal that we discussed is basically Arsenal have the ball deep in their own half. Yeah, It may be a case that other teams will just say, okay, have the ball, we'll sit off. Mm. But when you're at home and when you're, you know, there, we're, we're going to play some teams that could well use a point, but who might well also need three points. Yeah, that that's a really fascinating, this is slightly moving away from the game, but it's a fascinating aspect of the run-in now because the league table is so strange. You know, there are half the league is in a relegation battle. Yeah. Um, and actually Fulham, although on paper it looked tricky and it looked comfortable, uh, sorry, it looked uncomfortable. I wonder if their relative position of comfort within the league actually plays into Arsenal's hands a little bit. They're mm. not, you know, they want to qualify for Europe, but if but they've already had a good season. That's true. Um, I mean, that's what we were, uh, myself and Lewis were talking about this a little bit on the preview podcast for Fulham in the sense that, like, a point makes little or no difference to Fulham at this point in their season because it's been so good and so above their expectations. So they might as well, at home, have a go against Arsenal or or set up in a way which, you know, might give them a better chance to take three points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nonetheless, um, back to the game. We had some great chances in the counter-attack. I suppose the, the moment of the second half, though, really is Gabriel Jesus coming back on, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, brilliant to see him on the bench. Brilliant to see him get on the pitch. The the sort of uh, the roar that was building, uh, you know, from the away fans before he set foot on the pitch again was fantastic, wasn't it? Just that kind of... Yeah. Um, the roar which greeted his first touch... And I suppose the biggest compliment I can pay Gabriel Jesus is that after three months out, he came on and did a couple of things in that 20 minutes or whatever it was that he got that as fantastic as Leandro Trossard has been, as well as Eddie Nketiah has deputized for Jesus when he's been in the side, he did a couple of things that no, neither of them have done or can do, I think. Just the sort of, the way he can flick the ball around the corner. The the one, I think, which led to his chance was almost like a back flick on the run to Vieira oh. and he overlapped and then, 
you know, took the chance and, and Leno, you know, really should have just let that one in. I don't know. Don't know what he was yeah. thinking. Are you, are you an Arsenal man or not? Burns? Yeah, come We've on. been quite nice about you, really. We said you made a couple of good saves. Yeah. Um, At least you could have done. He did on. not look particularly rusty. Did he? he I mean, every inch Gabriel Jesus, even down to the miss. Missing, he just <laughs> um, picked up where he left off before the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, he really did. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, it turns out if you're really brilliant at football, um, you don't forget that in the space of three months. And yeah, credit to the medical staff because he looked sharp. Uh, yeah. And credit to the club for managing it well. You know, I, I think they've struck a good balance between the obvious desire to get him back on the pitch and the patience required to ensure it's done safely. I do think it's fascinating, though, because when Arteta spoke about him pre-game, was saying, yeah, we, we hope it'll be a matter of days rather than weeks, but we have to make sure that he's ready, is what he was saying to Sky. And I think that, re that was recorded on Saturday morning, perhaps, right? He said, when he looks at me in the eye and tells me he's ready, the, you know, the moment he's ready, he's going to be on the pitch. And then in the post-game interview, uh, he spoke about how a couple of days ago, uh, he said, a few days ago, he told me he was missing something. And then yesterday, he looked me in the eyes and told me he was ready. We had the opportunity to throw him in. It's the first step, blah, blah, blah. You know, that that difference in a, even a couple of days where he's going, oh, I'm not 100% sure to actually, you know what, I, I'm ready to go here. I'm ready to to make my way back into this team. It's so interesting to think about how even a couple of days can make a difference in the mind of a player when he's coming back from a serious injury. Yeah, it, I, I'd be fascinated to know more about it. I yeah. think Arsenal have documented some aspects of his recovery and, and I wonder if we'll ever see that. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to because that psychological element to it is mm. fascinating. That idea of like, you know, medically I'm cleared, but do I feel confident? Yeah. Do I feel able to do the things that make me who I am? And he is a player who engages in contact and challenges and the physical yes. aspect of the game in yeah, a very yeah, yeah. real way. But, he, you know, he's he's got to that place now. And, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have him back. I mean, it's, he came on the pitch, it was a huge cheer. His first touch, a huge cheer. His first touch was good and his second yeah. touch was good. And his <laughs> third touch was good. He, he looked sharp. The The... The build-up to that um, chance that he missed, it reminded me of Abu Dhabi's goal against Aston Villa away. Do you remember when oh, he got played yeah. him and Abue. one two on the halfway line? Yeah, a little bit of interplay, and they sort of run away. And Vieira should have another assist, really, by all rights. Puts it on a plate for him. But yeah, um, yeah, maybe some rustiness there with the finish. But uh, even in the, like the ninety-third minute, I think there was a moment where he won the ball back off Fulham in the midfield, and you just thought. There he is. Uh, it's a huge, mm. huge lift. And I, I said this, I think I said it last week, and I've been banging on about it on social media, but the fact that when he was injured in December, Arsenal were five points clear at the top of the Premier League table. And here we are three months later, three months without our star striker, our biggest summer signing, you know, the talisman of the attack. We're still there. Five yeah. points clear at the top of the table. It is a huge credit to Mikel Arteta and his players, the way that they have 
manage to plug that gap and keep the momentum going. For sure, because when he did pick up that injury, you know, time has passed and and everything else. But I think you you maybe you forget just how worried we were because he'd been so influential, because he'd been so important. Even if he wasn't scoring, we were, you know, he was a big part of why we were where we were. But like you say, credit to the manager and the other players who have stepped up and I think demonstrated that this is a, a real team, you know, not mm-hmm. just led by one individual, as good as he is, and he is an amazing player, of course, but there is a team, and I think the team ethic even tallies with what we were talking about, about defending, about people doing their jobs, about their their commitment to the results and the performances. You know, it's it's it really is hugely commendable to be five points clear without or having spent three months without basically, you know, your best player. Um, I know that's a difficult one to, a difficult tale to pin on the donkey this season because there have been so many players who've been so good. But, you know, there was a, a school of thought that he was probably our most influential player in, in the opening part of the season. Well, take, it, take yourself back to last summer. What was the one area of the team everyone was absolutely certain Arsenal needed a signing? Yeah. You know, and that would be transformational to the team. It was a centre forward. And Jesus arrived and it appeared to have that impact. I think, to be honest, his impact has extended beyond what happens on the pitch. I think, you know, clearly when Arsenal brought in Jesus and probably Zinchenko as well, I do mm. think they brought with them an absolutely elite level mentality and I think Arsenal have managed to kind of keep that bubbling away uh, even when Jesus has been injured and and it's been very clear that he's been around the squad and you know part of things for some time even if he's not been available for selection sure but yeah I I think it's um, I, I think the players have performed brilliantly in that period for the most part and I think the management has been very clever I mean you know, it's not, it looked like it might be as simple as kind of, well, Jesus out and Ketia in for a period of time, but form and injuries have got in the way of that. And Arteta's had to innovate and use Trossard and Martinelli, and he's made a success of it at every turn, which is really impressive. Yeah, not to mention the fact that we had to respond to Manchester City beating Crystal Palace on Saturday evening. So the gap was closed to two points. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, a dynamic. That little we'll face bit- that dynamic a lot this season because of the Europa Yeah. League. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, the response to losing at home to Manchester City is to win five in a row in the Premier League. I think that is something that uh, needs just a a mention uh, because people worry, didn't they, about what might happen if you lose to your biggest rival in a title chase, you know, particularly when it's your first time in a title race for a long time. The, the sort of perceived relentlessness of Manchester City, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the way people were talking after that Manchester City game, or some people anyway, it was like, well, that's it now for Arsenal. And what Arsenal have done is go and win five games in a row, 15 points, and we're five points clear. So it's, um, you know, it's very, very impressive. Another string to the impressive bow yeah. of, of this season. Um, anything else from yesterday before we take a break and do some questions? Uh, I don't think so, really. Uh, enjoyed Manchester United um, dropping points again. That was quite fun. That's good, but it's sort of like I don't give a fuck. 
It's not really. Is it? I suppose, but it's, it's not really relevant sort of to not us really at this point in time. Relevant, yeah, exactly. Um, trifling matters further down the table. Who cares? And actually, uh, thankfully, uh, Newcastle won a game because Spurs, despite their sort of dismal form and entirely depressed fan base, uh, are somehow still in fourth place, and that needs to change. I mean, I just have to. Um, we'll talk about this a bit more over on Patreon later on the thirty when we do the the Premier League roundup. But the uh, the penalty decision that Wolves did not get yesterday is an absolute scandal. Oh, I've not seen that. Have you I've not seen, seen it? it? No, I heard it was scandalous. Oh yeah. my god! I was on the way home during the game. Right, right. Well, and there's something weird with match of the day at the moment. I don't know if you've heard, so I've not been really? fully across oh, okay. it. Okay. I heard it was the best episode of Match of the Day ever. It was just They pure, had all the goals. All the goals and replays. It was just pure football, you know, as a true died in the wool footy fan, you know, yeah. I think I think all those people out there uh, really enjoyed this this particular episode. <laughs> Fucking stupid cons. Right. Um <laughs> let's take a little break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. I'm going to go first today, if you don't mind. And mm-hmm. quite a few people asked about this. Uh, Gareth on Twitter, who's at AFCWWRL, said, any idea uh, of the story behind the clock in the changing room. There's a big picture, of course, with all the players and staff and Mikel Arteta with a clock, which is, I think, at, if I look right, it's seven or, yeah, seven minutes, six minutes to two is what the um, the clock yeah. says. Was that the actual time or do you think there's a message in that? I think uh, it's just to remind the players to go for their pre-match Wii. It's like the last <laughs> thing you want is we're 20 minutes into that game. Arteta's got them all stood around. He's like, the last thing you want, 20 minutes into that game. And you're like, I need a wee. So uh, six minutes to two, one by one, in line up, <laughs> go and do a wee. What if, the, what if like, that gives one or two of them a bit of stage fright? You know, there's yeah. like, but boss, I don't need a wee. Well, you go. Go <laughs> Line up! <laughs> Gabrielle celebrating his... His trickle into the urinal. Yeah. High pitch scream. Yay! Uh, no, but in seriousness, it, it is about that, piss, isn't it? The athletic understand. It's all about piss. It's about piss. I don't know. Um, the, you know, I've seen an internet uh, theory 
that it, the clock is about there being two months to go in 11 games. But 11 I don't think that, to go. Yeah, I don't think that quite makes sense. Because I, I, the clock's not set at 11 minutes to... It's at like six minutes too. Yeah, I'm hoping to find out. My my intense suspicion is that that clock is set for the time that Arteta gave his final pre-match team talk, and that you know I don't know what significance of it is. Do you got any ideas? No, must mean something though because we know Arteta is you know he's like a a prop comedian, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's reliant on props. If I had to give him a criticism. Yeah, he's a bit too reliant. He's, yeah, he's basically guy. the carrot top of football management. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, as we've said many times, imagine if all or nothing was this season. It'd be fascinating to, to find out. We may not find out because I do think there is a kind of... Um, Omerta, the dressing room Omerta. A little bit. Yeah, and right. I, and I And I respect that because... I think out of context, as we saw with the documentary, out of context, these things can seem a bit wacky or weird. But when it produces a performance like it did yesterday, who are we to question that? Exactly. Um, your question. Um, okay. Beardy McBeardface says, where does Trossard rank in our all-time great January signings? I mean, so far, you would have to say he is up there with the best of them. And yes. maybe the best of them... So you're saying above Kim Chalstrom and Dennis Suarez? Just about. Just about. Um, the good ones are... Jose, Jose Reyes. Antonio Reyes, yeah. Uh, Andreas Chavin, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Diaby came in 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 January, but I don't think he was. I mean, by the Diaby, end of that season, he'd been Walcott and Adebayo all came yeah, in the same January window, didn't they? I guess in the long term, some of those paid some dividends or at least got some money. In terms of immediate impact, though, I think Trossard is up there with Reyes because Reyes obviously scored those goals against Chelsea in the FA Cup. That that rocket that went in the top corner and there's another one where John Terry desperately trying to keep the ball out but couldn't which gives that goal extra uh, deliciousness for me and then he did score some goals between then and the end of the season in Premier League terms which were absolutely vital to the title win and going unbeaten so is Reyes the best January signing in in historical terms uh, you know when you take into account what we've actually or what we actually achieved Maybe in terms of giving us that push towards the title. Nacho Monreal was a January signing, I think I'm right in saying, yeah. on deadline day, and was obviously a really good contributor over a number of years. I'm doing all this off, off the top of my head, as I assume you are too, so mm. we might be missing somebody out. But um, it, it's certainly a really, it's certainly a, a pretty impressive piece of business, I think. And it is incredible, isn't it? You look at... Uh, Mikhailo Mudrik at Chelsea and not even starting the majority of games. Mm. Um, and you have to wonder whether he could have contributed immediately in the way that Trossard is. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think he could have done. I don't think he could have made such a swift acclimatisation to our football as no. Trossard has. And, and when you consider where Trossard is had to play because of injuries and, and things. True. 
I don't think Mudrik could have done that. You know, and again, it, he could easily have come in and, and been sensational down the left-hand side, maybe in this more settled team with a manager whose instructions are pretty specific and clear. You know, he might not be struggling as much because, you know, Chelsea have been a bit all over the place, right? So it's more difficult in that sense. I suppose the other one to mention maybe um, is Odegaard in a way because he did have a a positive impact on the team. I know it wasn't quite as good as people would have liked. There was an injury, I think, which impacted him, but we did see him make an impact at Arsenal and then subsequently – that relationship with the club, that connection with Mikel Arteta, the players, the club itself, facilitated the deal, which then brought him in. And, you know, since then, you know, it, it looks every week more and more like a bargain. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, I, I seem to recall that Adebayo was quite important in that first six months, that it kind of helped us free up Thierry Henry a little bit and enabled us to overhaul Spurs and, and finish mm. in fourth place. I guess what we're learning here is that, you know, you can make you can make pretty important good signings in January, especially ones that have short-term benefit and short-term impact. And Trossard absolutely seems to be in that category. I mean, I have to be honest and say I've been taken aback, actually, by how good he's been. And he's better than I anticipated. Um, and I think it shows you that there is talent in this league, if you look for it. And Arteta and Arsenal mm. are making a habit of looking for it. Uh, I saw a piece by Sam Dean this morning saying that Arsenal have signed more uh, players from Premier League clubs, considerably more than the rest of their big six counterparts under wow. Arteta. Um, Trossard, the latest example. Right. Well, Actually, look- Jorginho is the latest example, but Trossard, another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Um, is it my question? I think it is, isn't it? It is. It is. Okay, here we go from Joel Kowalewski. Kowalewski. Sorry, Joel. Close, I hope. Anyway, he says, do you think Bakayo Saka has looked tired the last couple of games? Would it be beneficial to leave him out of the team for a couple of games so we have a recharged and dangerous Saka for the run-in? Like, what did you make of him yesterday? Um, to be honest, I, d- I don't really, I didn't really have a sort of big conclusion from his performance yesterday. Right. Um, uh, what I mean, did you think? I thought he looked just 10% off his normal game. You know, mm. moments where he could go past a player, he'd get tackled. There were a couple of passes that didn't quite work out. I think, to me, he looked like a, a guy... You know, you know the way sometimes you can see a player and you go, it's not his day today. I'm not saying he played badly, but by his own high standards, it was not where we have seen him this season. And I was actually quite happy when Mikel Arteta took him off. I think Yeah, he, I was relieved about that. Yeah. I think it's good now every now and again. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I do think maybe the last couple of games, like you could make a very good argument maybe that 90, 90 minutes in midweek on Thursday – didn't really do him any favours for yesterday. But I do True. think over the last couple of games, he hasn't quite been at his best. 
I would think very, very strongly about not starting him on Thursday, that's for sure, because we do now have a bit more depth in those forward positions. Like, I I know Arteta loves him. I know he's one of the cornerstones of this team, for sure. But I also think you have to recognize when a player isn't quite at their best or is having a little bit of a difficult moment, and by rotating your team by leaving them out you know people will say dropped but that's not it it's it's how you manage those little moments in a season that that uh, can be really really important um so i think sack is going through just a tiny little bit of a uh, an iffy spell probably because of how much he's played i think maybe you know, he's taken quite a bit of a kicking. You remember the game, was it against Aston Villa where it looked like he would have to come off, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't think it would do him any harm to sit out most of Thursday. If we need him, bring him on. If we don't need to bring him on, you know, maybe he gives him some minutes because he likes to do that, doesn't he, with, with first-team players just to keep their rhythm up a little bit. But I don't think it would do him any harm to sit out Thursday. No, I think that's probably wise. You know, he's, he's going to go with England, isn't he, in the break? And you'd imagine he'll feature for them. They've got two games. Um, I think we can just about afford to be without him on the Thursday. In terms of his performance at Fulham, just thinking about it a bit more, I think this was one of those games where the left functioned slightly better than the right. I think a lot of our best moves came down that flank. And... Mm. Um, that may have been a factor in him sort of being a little bit quieter. There was an early heavy challenge on him, as there usually is from Robinson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably an opportune moment to try and give him a rest. Um, we do have players back now, as you say. And I thought, you know, Reese Nelson uh, came on and contributed pretty well uh, in his little time on the pitch. So that feels like another player that we've kind of added to the mix who I'll be honest I wasn't hugely considering before that is true can I just follow up on that because you know another player who didn't get on the pitch yesterday is, is Emil Smith-Rowe yeah um, and we had a couple of questions uh, on this from Luca Skywalker he lives on the second floor apparently anyway he said uh, with Arsenal looking more and more healthy what does the rotation at the top of the pitch look like? It looks as though, uh, to me, that uh, Smith-Rowe will struggle for minutes. Moving forward, is there a clear need for recruitment in midfield? Whereas I think we've got a lot of uh, options in attack. Does a sale loom in the summer? And Dan Massey 10 on Discord says, do you think Arteta is not 100% uh, percent convinced about the ability of Emil Smith-Rowe? Yesterday seemed like a perfect day to give him 30 minutes or even a start. He has been back in contention for a while now, but has hardly featured any thoughts on why this might be the case. It's interesting, isn't it? I completely understand this instinct and I have it myself. But I do think as fans, we... I don't know if catastrophize is quite the right, right word, but we extrapolate a lot from single games. You know, I've, I've seen people selling uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Eddie Nketiah off the back of yesterday's match. And I just think that's probably a bit... Mm, what's the word? Premature. Yeah, yeah. I think the Smith Rowe thing is interesting. I, I'm not sure we'll see Emil Smith Rowe as we know and love him this season. I just get the sense that there's an 
seems to be a bit of caution about how many minutes he can take at this present point in time. And I also think, I just don't know, with other players who are fit and sharp and in, you know, have match practice, they are in a rhythm of playing games. I just think they're going to have the advantage over him when it comes to selection. Mm. Um, but I don't take that to mean that Mikel Arteta doesn't rate him or doesn't consider him part of his plans. I, I think it's telling that when Trossard was injured against Bournemouth and there was still, you know, uh, however long, 70 minutes to go in the game, it was Smith Rowe he brought on yeah. in that scenario. Um, you know, he had Nelson, he had... They didn't have Vieira, but he could have had brought Shaka on and switched Vieira out to one of the attacking positions. Uh, and he, we went for Smith Rowe, which mm. I think shows, you know, it's a player he really values and thinks can contribute. I'm just, I'm not convinced he'll get the run and the rhythm he needs between now and May. I almost think the stakes are too high in some ways for him to to get those minutes. Sure. He I- can't get them yesterday at 3-0 up. When is he going to get them? I mean, he might get them on Thursday, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Against Sporting. But like you say, there's a there's a game there to win. There was an interesting profile piece done on Smith Rowe on the Sky Sports website over the weekend. And they talked about that, yeah. they talked about how, you know, he's slowly regaining the, the pace and the power that he has. That that's something he's having to work on. He's, for the first time, apparently, in four years, playing without pain. Um, but also there was an interesting snippet about how in training he is, if not quite being repurposed as a central midfielder, as one of the two eights, you know, that is basically where he has been training for the most part. And that might be part of the plan. So right now that means Martin Odegaard or, or Granit Xhaka. And I think given the, the context of this season, it's difficult to see him get minutes in those positions while those guys are fit. I think that's true. And I think Fabio Vieira looks to be maybe head in the queue at this point in time. Yeah, he's, he's becoming a bit more influential as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tricky one. I, I don't necessarily see it, uh, you know, coming to a head this summer or anything like that. I, I really feel that next season we'll be talking about the benefit of Emil having had a proper pre-season and, mm. you know, feeling ready to contribute regularly and part of the group. He'll be like a new signing, all those things. Mm. I'm just not, I, I guess, yeah, where I'm not confident is that he'll, he'll get to where he would like to be in the next two months, but I wouldn't preclude him having a moment, you know, having his own Reese Nelson moment sure. between now and May. Yeah, and look, if we do go a bit further in the Europa League, finding that balance between Premier League priority and the Europa League is going to be a challenge for for Mikel Arteta, and it is one that he's going to have to face with a level of pragmatism, right? That will mean making six changes, five, six changes for some of those Europa League games. Mm. Well, he may have 120-minute games in some instances. With away goals no longer being a factor, I think the chances of extra time are, are increased, really. So... Uh, yes. Interesting. Uh, It's not something that uh, is keeping me up at night, but I do agree it's something worthy of discussion. Sure. Um, well, 
we might as well do this question. It's, it's a similar theme. So uh, Edward Power 13, who would you prefer for a backup striker next year if you could have one, Eddie Nketiah or Flo Balogun? Oh, man. I mean, that's such a... It's a really difficult question because Balogun is having an amazing season in um, in France, scored again yeah. yesterday. Uh, he's doing everything you could want a, a young striker to do. Uh, the only fair way to settle this is to loan Eddie Nketiah to Reims for a season and see how he gets on. <laughs> and then, and then at the, the end of that win. season, yeah. we all... We'll make a decision. May the best man win. Look, you know what? I'm finding it really difficult to think about what would I prefer for next season because there's still so much to deal with this season. Um, it's just, nah, I'm, I don't really want to answer that because it's such a hypothetical. What I would say is I would trust the club and the manager at this point to make the right decision for... For this squad, you know, they've made good decisions. Um, if they want to keep both, great. We are going to be in the Champions League, it looks like. So we're going to need a bigger squad. We're going to need more depth. There's going to be um, more need to use the full panel of players, you know, if you're playing midweek Champions League and then playing, you know, the weekend. So, um, you know, at this point... I just can't answer that question. I'm sorry. I know it's a bit fence city, but I just don't. I just don't know how to answer it in any satisfactory way for anybody else. Yeah, I think it might not be an either or. As you say, there could mm. be room for both in the squad. Certainly, we've had injuries at centre forward this season where you've thought, "Well, I could do with a bit more depth up there." Um, they're both under long-term contract. There is an argument to sort of let them fight it out on the club's time, on the club's books, uh, and see who comes out on top. Mm. Alternatively, it may be decided by the market. You know, sometimes you're not desperate to lose a player, but an offer comes in mm. that's of such sufficient value that you think we should take this opportunity. You know, and I yeah. think Alex Awobi, Emi Martinez, they would probably come under that category where Arsenal weren't trying to get them out, but a bid came in and they thought, yeah, that's we've good. Got, we've got to take that money. It's good money. And someone might come along for Eddie or for Balogun. And if the club feel we only need one and that they can invest that elsewhere and strengthen the squad, then they'll take that decision. Yeah. I think it'll be an interesting one to watch. Here's, I mean, we've, there were loads of questions like this. Uh, this one is from Steam Pedals on the Discord. Goodly morning. What does Gabriel Jesus have to do to get his spot back from Trossard? And there was another one here from Critical T, and it's about Eddie again. But what does this Trossard performance do for Eddie and Kedia? Surely he's now behind Jesus, 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 Jesus and Trossard in the center forward pecking order after how effective Trossard has been. It's tough to see him getting too many minutes between now and the end of the season, given how fine the margins are likely to be uh, between the uh, Premier League and the Europa League, etc., etc. And yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. I've got a fairly um, strong idea myself, but... I'm curious as to what you think about, you know, these, this sort of, if you can call it a problem for Mikel Arteta, you know, what do I do with Trossard, Jesus and Enkedia? <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing, actually. We were looking at the bench, Arsenal bench before the game and saying how strong it looked. You were looking at it and saying, well, who's missing that would be on there? 
you know, uh, Kivior didn't even make the substitutes bench yesterday. He was with the team. I saw him arrive with the team. And yeah, then I saw a tweet the that group. there was a disciplinary issue. I'm not quite sure. Someone yeah, said that. there was some know. whispers about that from Poland, I think. But I, uh, I haven't heard anything suggest that's accurate. Um, but um, what was I saying? We were talking about oh, yeah, the bench. Eddie, and, yeah. Eddie, Eddie is the obvious person who was missing from that bench because I understand people saying, "Well, listen, Jesus would start ahead of him. Trossard would start ahead of him." I think that's probably fair based on what we've seen. But I can't imagine a game where if you've got Eddie and Ketia in your squad, you are not having him on the bench as a substitute option. I know that his record as a substitute is not as good as it is as a starter, but there are so many must-win games for Arsenal between now and the end of the season that I'm convinced Mikel Arteta will take and occasionally use the other centre-forward he has available to him. I think I think you're right, yeah. Um, so I'm not actually worried about him getting minutes. I think he'll, I think he'll get minutes. Um, maybe not from the start, but certainly within games. And I think perhaps within Europa League games, he may start the odd one. Um, if we stay in the competition and the draw permits, um, mm. I can't remember the other aspect of the question. Well, the oh, Jesus, Jesus well, how does he get Yeah. I mean, I think the luxury of the position Arsenal are in is that they don't have to push Jesus really uh, you know we've got two games this week do you think Jesus will start either of those I wouldn't be that surprised to see him start on Thursday yeah genuinely because if he's ready he's ready and Arteta said the moment he's ready he's going to be on that pitch and I think if you are looking at a way of getting him match fit building up his minutes you know because we've got what two games before the interlull you know, these minutes could be really important. Um, He's not been called up by by Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, so start uh, him, start it, him against Sporting. I I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah, it could be. Could and be. and just in general, like I I really do not worry in any way about what Gabriel Jesus has to do to get his place back from Trossard, what Trossard has to do to stay in the team, what minutes Eddie and Kedia is getting. You know, I want Eddie back and fit. I want as many players available to us um, in the run-in as possible. If that gives Mikel Arteta some sleepless nights, some headaches when it comes to, well, who do I pick on the bench? Who have I got to leave out here? Do I leave out, you know, a Rob Holding and keep Tommy Asu in the team as cover for centre-half? Or, you know what I mean? Lose a defender so you can have another attacker on the bench. I'd be all for that. You know, mm. I think this is this is absolutely the best kind of problem we can have, you know. Um, so I, I'm really not worried. I think the the players and their own form will dictate some of these team decisions, some of these selections that Arteta will make. But like, I've got no anxiety whatsoever about any of it. I'm just glad we have them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, okay. I'm switching. I'm switching to the questions that were aren't on my laptop. Okay. And they're on my phone. Okay. It's a huge pivotal moment in the podcast. Um oh, this might be fun. Zach Taze. Obviously we've expressed our reluctance to do predictions for what happens at the top of the table. Correct. Um but Zach has said the bottom of the table is so congested. Who are your three predictions 
to be relegated. Ooh, I'm going to have a look here. Let me see. Who would we like to be relegated as well? I mean, Everton, Leicester and West Ham going down would be very, very funny. It would be funny. I... Dice, Rogers and Moyes relegated. Yeah. I am a bit worried for Crystal Palace at the moment. I know. Well, don't worry. They've got Arsenal next weekend, so I'm sure they'll be... (laughs) Sure, they'll be back. Um, I am going to say West Ham. Ooh, spicy. I like it. Southampton. Yeah. And Leeds. Hmm. I think I'm going to say Southampton. Mm. Basically, everyone from 12th, Palace down, is in it. Yep. I'm going to say Southampton. I'm going to say Leeds. And I think I'm going to say Palace. They yes. haven't, I think they haven't had a sh- shot on target for three games or something mm. mental like that. It is a bit, it is a bit worrying from their perspective and hopefully they don't find their form obviously, uh, you know, next yeah. week. Um, Not yet, but, but for, it's difficult. for Patrick's sake, I would like them to, but. Uh, Not against us. They can find their form later. Basically, when you're looking at that bottom half of the table, you're thinking, who's going to win? Who's going to get a few wins? Like, yeah. a few wins is probably going to be enough. And you're like, Everton will get a few wins. Probably. It is yeah. crazy, isn't it? You know, five points from bottom to 12th. Palace are on 27. Southampton are on 22. It is so, so tight. Um, can, I, can I make a point about this, actually? Which, mm. um, I think this is correct. But we often say about Arsenal, like, oh, they're a very young, young team, young manager. But I think they're actually the second youngest team in the mm. league. And I think they've got the second youngest manager. And the youngest team and the youngest manager are Southampton. Mm. And they are bottom of the Premier League and Arsenal are top. And obviously there are other factors that go into that, like resource, budget, all those things, player quality, essentially. But... I do think that's pretty remarkable that, you know, it shows you how hard it can be with a young group. Mm. And yet there we are. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see when the, um, when the, uh, the teams go down. Here is a question from Big Nige. He's Nige9173 on Twitter. He said, Mm. are you a fan of the Olays? If so, which minute do you think is the most appropriate for them to start? Yeah, good question. um, I'm actually, I'm not really a fan, to be honest with you. They always make me nervous. Yeah, me too. A little bit. Um, But I think if you're in the away end, I get it. And yesterday, if there's ever a game in which you can get away with it, it's surely that one. I did enjoy uh, the Fulham fans. Um, yeah. When we started Olaying, they got the ball back and did a few Olays themselves. They also were chanting, we've got the ball at one point. <laughs> um, yeah, the away fans were great yesterday. Before the game, Fulham Tannoy was playing Seven Nation Army and all you could hear over the top of it was, oh, Santi Cazola. <laughs> uh, it was brilliant. But... Um, I think you can start laying whenever you like. It's, if my nervous disposition can't handle it, I think I, that's yeah. Me. For me, I 
I find them hard to deal with, you know, because it was about, what, 60-something minutes or 70 minutes. I know we're 3-0 up. I know we're in control. I can deal with Olays. This is just a personal thing. I'm not saying anyone shouldn't do it. 92nd minute, and there were a few more Olays, and I'm absolutely fine with those, completely mm. comfortable. My biggest worry about Olays is you know, an opposition player getting fucked off by them and just steaming into somebody and causing a, right, a that's bit of an point, injury, no. you know? I do worry. It's a red rag to a bull, isn't it? There is an element of that, isn't there? So it's, it's yeah, it's a bit Anthony, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, spinning around in circles. <laughs> um, no, I've got no choice here. I am going to have to go in and two-foot him in the ankle. By the way, yeah. I, I'm just going to say this. I don't think I've ever disliked a player or a signing quite as much as I like dislike Anthony at Manchester United, which guarantees only one thing. He will one day score a very important goal against Arsenal. Uh, so I apologise to everyone for that. You've just made it public. If you just kept yeah. it to yourself, that never would have happened. I know. I, I just think he's a completely... I, I just find him absurd. The concept of Anthony, I'm just not on board with. No, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's sort of like bad performance art yeah as if someone said let's try and create the most annoying footballer of all time and they came up with him and fair play you've done a fucking good job of it lads but it doesn't seem quite real yeah he's like he's a gif player do you know what i mean like he or, or he it's like he plays for three second parts of the game to be clipped up and used on social media a TikTok footballer. He's a TikTok footballer. He is the first and worst TikTok footballer. He's like he's made out of one of Richarlison's shites. Yeah. He is like the two-bit nanny. I honestly <laughs> I I really dislike that footballer. That's fair. Um don't even know why we're talking about it. Oh speaking of chance. Mm. Rob Gooner said, what did you make of the we shall not be moved and we're going to win the league chance? Justified or a bit too early? Personally, I prefer to just do our business without any talk slash singing of the title. But you can't fault the fans for dreaming. I think if you're away from home on a Sunday, having gone down the Thames on a boat... I presume you've been on a boat for you've three been hours. Been on a boat where there was. Uh, uh, my understanding is a lot of beer and no food on that boat. Rookie mistake. <laughs> you can sing whatever you like. Listen, why not dream? Why not sing about it? Why not fucking just enjoy the ride? As we've said all season long, enjoy the ride, enjoy the celebration, sing whatever you want to sing. What difference does it fucking make to anybody else? The Arsenal fans were amazing yesterday at, at uh, Craven Cottage, as they have been all season, home and away. And I do not begrudge them any kind of song, even if the Olays do make me a bit nervous, ladies and gents. So, you know, that's my that's my problem, though, not yours. Enjoy yourselves. Just fucking go with it. I think I think it's fine. I've got no problem. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, first time I've heard we should not be moved. Uh, I, granted, I'm not in the away end very often, but first time I've heard that from the press box. Something that has been happening in recent weeks is, you know, the LA, LA, LA. Yeah, that's really caught on, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and and 
it's sort of evolved. Uh, the chart's been around since last season, but the last line uh, is... Hang on, I've, I'm, I'm doubting myself now. Uh, we won the league at Anfield. No one can say the same. Savage, I'll traffic. No one can say the same. Mikel set his army. We also went through. Uh, we'll sing it in the north back. And in the clock at two. Oh, that's LA, LA, LA. That's not, I'm thinking of a different one. We've got Super Mikel Arteta is the one I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've yeah. got Super Mikel Arteta. Um, he knows exactly what we need. Turn it back. Gary in attack. Now, last oh. season, it was very much Arsenal on their way to Champions League. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for the first half of this season, it was very much Arsenal on their way to Champions League. I mean, it still but fits. Yeah, it's evolving. I'm beginning to hear pockets of fans are singing Arsenal on their way to Premier, Premier League. League or win the league. And there's not a, it seems to me there's not a clear consensus that we've changed that lyric. But uh, I think we need a, a referendum. Maybe we need a referendum, yeah, because it, it, that is happening organically. And like when we get to, when you're in the Emirates and it gets to that line of the chant, Suddenly it gets a bit muffled because everyone's got their <laughs> everyone's own. has got their own version. Yeah. Arsenal doing very well, but I'm not prepared to declare <laughs> that we're going to win the league yet. It's mine. Uh, which doesn't scan quite as well. No, 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 no. I think that needs some work, to yeah. be honest. Um, well, look, hopefully uh, by the end of the season, there'll be a, a one version that everybody knows and understands and is singing. And, and uh, yeah, I think we all know what version that would be. Let's do this one just to finish off. Um, cause I quite like this question. Martinelli, the elephant said, goodly morning, gentlemen, can either of you enlighten me as to what our set piece takers are signaling when they raise their hands in the air before delivering the ball? See Trossard's corner for our opener. When I first noticed this a long time ago, I assumed it was some secret signal akin to an NFL playbook routine, but the signal always seems to be the same, which makes me think they're just indicating Lads, I'm about to lump the ball into the mixer. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm going to kick it about this high. Yeah. See how where I'm pointing? About that height it's going to go. Try and head it. I think that's I don't it. know. I, uh, yeah, the, the subtleties of, uh, of set-piece work, I think, are lost on us laymen. Although Gabrielle clearly felt, you know, that uh, the set-piece coach deserves some credit. Went over and uh, sure did. cuddled, didn't he, after the goal? There is uh, more complexity to these routines than it sometimes appears, but I agree that gesture does seem to be the universal. Yeah, sign here it for, comes. <laughs> it, we're lumping it in the box. Yeah, yeah. There was some interesting stuff from corners yesterday. Did you see the way that Arsenal were starting with maybe five men at the back post? Yeah, did see which that. we haven't done before this season. Um, I did see that, and and I and there was a nice short routine as well, actually. Um, oh yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Or one along the ground, wasn't it, to Martinelli? At the yeah, the, the shot box, was, was blocked. blocked. Yeah, yeah. And that we've seen a couple of routines like that. Uh, have been quite good. Um, Actually, had another one on set pieces as well. It's um, from Andro Atoev on the Discord. He said, "Do you notice how Ben White is tasked with annoying the keepers on corners? He got punched by the sporting keeper too on our goal, and also really got involved with Leno on the Gabriel goal. I think he's perfect for this role, and and learned from the disallowed goal, uh, the one against um, Leicester, where he very gently held the hand of the Leicester goalkeeper to give him some comfort, the goalkeeper. Yeah, some solace. Do not be afraid." It's Gabriel okay, screams. Okay, yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's 
part it's part of it isn't it you know i, I think uh all sorts goes on, but you just have to try and tread that line. You just have to try and tread that line. Um, it's a bit like Thursday night in Lisbon. You know, Zinchenko was very much involved with that player, mm. but the player made the most of it and the decision went our way. It's so knife edge. You can see all these decisions being given one way or the other, but Ben White is someone who likes to play on that edge. So... Um, he's also, you know, the most, um, you wouldn't notice Ben White, you know, with his golden tan and his exactly. tattoos and his, his handsome face. He, you know, he's the most subtle of, of all of them. So I think that's yeah, why they it's espionage him. ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we will leave it there. I think get this podcast out for everybody. Thank you very much indeed, as always for being here and for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show a little later today. We'll have the 30 over on uh, Patreon where we will, uh, discuss the weekend's Premier League action with 46 minutes of, of silence. Um, we'll also do a sporting preview for you a bit later in the week as well. For now, though, take it easy and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.